0: Hello, it's Sunday and you're listening to The Bookworm on fabradiointernational.com I'm your host Ed Fortune and I'm here with...
1: Name for Hayes
0: So today on the show we are talking to um, Anna Kashina about her... uh, the latest novel on angry Robot, and i will be reviewing *Equoid* by charles stross what will you be reviewing
1: i am looking at juliet immortal uh, by stacy j
0: you can find us on social media under the tag radio bookworm we're on twitter facebook and tumblr as radio bookworm we're on mixcloud or on itunes you could probably get us by owl if you have that magical power um so that's the show enjoy Hello, so it's time for it's time for the news. Hello, everyone. Um, so, yeah, shall we start with exciting submissions for for you, you, the author? Yes. Um, so, Boo Books, which is sorted out by the lovely Alex Davis. We love you, Alex. You're fantastic.
2: Yes, you are.
0: Um, he organises Edgelit, which we are enormous fans of, and you should book for Edgelit if you've not been, and you happen to live in the UK. It's perhaps not worth a trip across the pond, but you never know, if you're in the area, you should go to Edgelit. Anyway, we're not talking about Alex Davis's Edgelit project, we're talking about Boo Books. They're looking for their first collection of ghost stories. Submissions open on the 19th of July, so they've already opened, and they close the 1st of September with a view for an October release that would be halloween then you won't get paid but you will get a free copy stories don't have to be set in christmas or any relation to christmas but they do want a dickens-esque kind of wintry feel also Jurassic London, uh, organised by the wonderful Jared Sheeran and friends Um, want 750 of your lovely words and they will pay you 30 quid 30 English pounds if you get the gig submissions by the 29th of October should be around for Christmas-ish because it's supposed to be a digital stocking stuffer and this year's theme is Space Opera
1: it looks really good actually
0: you can find out about that both on boobooks.net for the ghost stories and for the space opera on oh, jurassiclondon.com. Oh,
1: basically they want they want exploding planets, alien fleets, quantum capaciflux jiggers pistols that shoot black holes and robot sidekicks and 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 and, and all this stuff
0: basically anything that isn't star wars but is like star wars <laughs> don't 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 send in your star wars fanfic don't send in your 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 doctor who fanfic don't send in your black library fanfic send just in your just change the
1: names <laughs> no no don't
0: don't do that do something original and clever and they'll uh, they'll give you 30 quid
2: and the details of that are already on our facebook page free
0: cuz we're awesome um Shall we, shall we skip to meanwhile on Hachette versus Amazon? Oh, we could
2: go back to submissions and we could talk about what happens at the other end of the scale with Harper Voyager. Well, oh,
0: shall, we, shall we talk about. Oh, blimey. Sh- shall we talk about Harper Voyager and the, the Martin Hobb
2: events? Well, w- know, Well, we, 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 as we were talking about submissions, uh, you may recall that in October 2012, Harper Voyager had an open submission window. They've picked up. Fifteen titles, mostly unagented authors. They're coming out starting this winter and going through to the start of 2015.
0: Wow. Anything anything of note?
2: Um, I'll be honest, nothing I've heard of, but some of them sound really cool from the titles. Such as? Uh, Dark Haven by A.F.E. Smith. Ooh. The Machinery by Gerard Cohen. Uh, A Dead Elf by Terry Newman. I don't know what that is about, but I really want to read it. Presum- <laughs> it sounds
0: cool. Presumably it's about a dead elf.
2: Yeah. Uh, the, That's what you think. There it's are... What the
1: title wants you to think.
2: According, according to the uh, press release, among the 15 books are a young adult novel about a meteor heading to Earth, The Ark by Laura Liddell Nolan, a historical fantasy set in a Viking-esque world, The Rule by Jack Coleman, and a large-scale epic fantasy Among Wolves by Nancy Wallace. Mm-hmm.
0: They are some sickeningly talented young people. Uh, when we were at Nine Year Worlds, we met uh, Anna Calapatino, and she's like
2: 17, 18. Yeah, yeah. I saw somebody else with the same surname on and thought, oh, that must be like her husband, and then I realised that it was, in fact, her dad. Aww. bless. Oh, awesome.
0: you, you know, she does She does girl guides, you know how most authors do, like, pub kind of dusky <laughs> smoky pub talks she's too young to drink so she does she just talks at like girl guide gra- gatherings between the boy bands nice which is awesome absolutely what a well what the
2: girl guides have like a big weekend thing now which sounds quite good never done anything like that when I was a guide but there you go um, but yeah these these 15 books they're coming out one or two a month I'm trying to give their own space um, ebook releases with short run paperback editions so there you go
0: um Staying on the subject of Harper Voyager. Mm-hmm. Uh, 5,000 people tuned in live to, dun, see, dun, 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 to see George O. Martin and Robin Hobb talking to each other. Because
3: why wouldn't you?
0: 1,200 people crowded into the place. Where um, where was the place? Where um, was yeah, it was the Freemasons, Freemasons Hall in London. Freemasons, oh, Freemasons, Freemasons nice
2: building. Hall, nice building. Which, which, if you've ever watched uh, Spooks, you'll recognise the outside of.
0: Um, apparently it was a fantastic talk. You can still get... Um, the, there will be a recording available. You know, it'd be really nice. It'd be really nice if we could get like, Martin or Halb onto the show.
2: That'd be really nice. That'd be nice. Lovely yeah, nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll
1: never get there.
0: <laughs> <coughs> um, so, meanwhile, in Hachette versus Amazon, hey, uh, hey, <laughs> this week, uh, the German Minister for Culture, Media, uh, Culture and Media welcomes and supports a campaign by German language authors accusing Amazon of manipulating its recommended reading lists. Um, essentially,. <laughs> Monica Grütters of Chancellor Angela Merkel's ruling Christian Democrats said market power and domination over central distribution channels should not endanger our cultural diversity. There is a thing there where one of the major German publishers was pretty much... Shot in the head by Amazon, yes. <laughs> and it was uh, a staunchly Christian organization. Unfortunately, the the, the well, incidentally, the, the the key German political party is also staunchly Christian. I think Amazon might lose this one. Uh, I think I think they might have kicked the wrong puppy, and then the rest of the authors have responded with a no, staunchly no.
2: Is somebody in the EU not just waiting to take Amazon to task, and it's probably going to be the Germans.
0: It actually, you know, I think you're right. The French, the French will also quite happily, because the French have a, France has a, a long history of protecting its culture mm, and its authors. Mm, very. Um, I get a distinct feeling there's going to be a sound kicking by various governments. Britain will probably tag in, just holding
2: people's courts. To be yeah. honest. Um, The Amazon Kindle Worlds, which is been sort of tagged i think as amazon's fanfic publishing site uh, is not doing well uh they're trying to claim that around about 600 works in a year is fantastic when that's about as many as go up in an hour and a half on fanfic.net <laughs> yes yeah um because it's all royalty split you've got to do it within a licensed world and then there's a royalty split between you and the person who originally came up with whatever the property aren't is.
0: some of the licenses a bit bobbins as well some of them, they aren't the really exciting ones. It's not like, there isn't a supernatural license of which a lot of fanfics are written. There's, you know, it's not the Doctor Who of which there's a lot of uh, fanfics written. It's, and I'm not insulting fans of the Vampire Diaries, but it's stuff like the Vampire Diaries. It's stuff that is maybe the third or fourth stringer if we're being entirely brutal and honest, sorry fans of Vampire Diaries, you're just not as good as Supernatural. Um, <laughs> personally, you're probably fantastic, but your show's just not that good. Anyway, send complaints to Radio Bookwell. Can <laughs> um,
4: well,
1: and address them to Edward Fortune, please? Yeah,
0: Vampire Diaries is awesome and you're wrong. Spell you're wrong, however, because I <laughs> need
2: to feel superior. <laughs> most of the licensed world appear to be books thing. Uh, also, Gossip Girl, Pretty Little Liars and Vampire Diaries following a deal with Warner Bros. Television group at Group's Alloy Entertainment. Um, yeah, as you rightly say, if you look on fanfiction.net, it's all sci-fi type stuff that tends to be at the top of the most I stories think, yeah. ranks.
1: Star Trek is one of the bigger producers of, of fanfic as well. Doctor it's, Who,
0: obviously. It's but a uh, classic one, isn't it, Star yeah, Trek? So much it right. created an entirely entire subgenre of fanfiction known yeah. as Slash, which at some point we'll talk about, but not
2: today. Not today. Mm-hmm. But I mean uh you are a published author, so how would you feel about licensing your world and then getting a future royalty split from somebody if they wrote fanfic and if somebody then bought it on a Kindle?
1: I don't know, I've actually never thought about it, but I think, to me, the idea that someone would want to go into my world and play with some characters is actually quite good fun. Uh, if I could get some money out of it, that <laughs> would be amazing, I wouldn't mind at all.
0: Talking about money, and this is a very, very, very poor segue, uh, BBC Scotland plans a two-part dramatisation of Ian Banks' novel Stormhawk, Um Production production company Slate North will partner with, uh, on the drama and produce it for BBC Scotland. Uh, it'll be the first TV ad- adaptation since the author died last year. Mm-hmm. Um, based on Stonoff, which is one of his later books, um... Arguably, arguably, it's not quite a genre, but it's Ian Banks, so let's let him off because you know he's Ian Banks. He was guest of honor at the Hugo's. Was
2: That's it? an achievement.
0: Um, well, he was invited before yeah, yeah. He, he announced that he. And was that terminal. that
2: all happened really quickly as well, didn't it? And
0: it happened really, really quickly. One of the things that completely stopped me, I was I was at uh, LongCon last year, as regular listeners will last, last week. Last, last week, it feels like a year. Uh Last week, as regular listeners will be aware, it was a huge event. Thousands of people were there. I think they're saying around about 10,000 in total or unique people were there. And if you think, oh, but but the MCM Git Show has like 20,000, 30,000 people. Different sort of event. Different sort of event, very much so. You pay more money, you spend more time, you become more involved. It's a different sort of a thing. So many things. I would need to clone myself about 10 times just to give you an idea. It's the sort of thing where you just walk around the corner and suddenly there's a Philharmonic Orchestra playing Superman. It's ridiculous. I mean a proper Philharmonic Orchestra with a crowd Watching it and all the rest of it blew my mind completely. Lots and lots of lovely people we talked to, lots of stuff talked about for the show as well, which will be coming up at some point, um, but not on today's show. um Very much the spirit of Ian M. Banks was there. i Those moments where you're just wandering around and you catch these things. If you've read Use of Weapons, and you've read player of Games, and you've read some of his other Zoffer books, if you've read Use of Weapons, if I tell you there was a chair there, then your eyebrows will probably raise. If I can tell you that it was very levery, then your eyebrows will certainly raise. I tell you that there was also a Wasp Factory there, and indeed they attempted to play a game called Azad as part Azad. of the thing. Absolutely bizarre, utterly lovely, fantastic event. And of course, the thing about LonCon and Cons in general is that they have the Hugos. Shall we talk about the Hugo Awards?
1: We haven't done that enough, so I think we should.
0: So, <laughs> <laughs> shall, shall we? Shall we very briefly try and go through as much as we can? Uh, you can find it on the the LongCon website. If you Google LongCon, you can find them.
2: Oh, we could you know link to it on our social media, which okay. we'll probably do as well.
0: So. um... Let, let's let, let's go very quickly over some stuff I'm going to review Equoid by Charles Stross uh, shortly and that won Best Novelette Vela, so we'll talk about that at length um, amazingly though of Justice by Anne Leckie which is a fantastic piece of space opera won um, Mary Robinette Cow- Cowles uh, The Lady Astronauts of Mars won Best Novelette Best Short Story was The, the Water That Falls On You From Nowhere by John Chu. Um Cameron Hurley won twice firstly as best fan offer, and also for her article We Have Always Fought if you've not read We Have Always Fought we'll link to it on the show you should absolutely read it it's about diversity in media you should get on that right away um Shall we do the thing where we're completely outraged about best fan uh, best fan cast and best dramatic f- presentation? Short
2: form.
1: I'm outraged! Oh. Outraged! Okay, so split. Game of... Split
2: the vote. It plainly, the, the five different Doctor Who things split the vote. But, interesting to note, Davison and Tennant turned up to not win. Game of Thrones one Best Dramatic Presentation, not any of the 50th Doctor
0: Who things. But as you say, Tennant and David Davison turned up and do you know what also happened? George Orwell jo-
2: Martin gave them a ribbon.
0: Yeah. George Orwell <laughs> Martin had specially made ribbons that went on your pass, because everyone has to have a pass in order to stay in the building, otherwise security marches you out, even if you're David Tennant. Um, and he he gave them this little black ribbon with, I believe, a sad panda on it, or a sad elephant, oh. uh, with, with Hugo loser Oh, awesome. Did. um I'm
1: sure they accepted it gracefully and with a big giggle
0: <laughs> so so yes but um yeah George over Martin of course um I, I believe he did actually pick up the prize um also in in outrage Emma Newman did not bet, win best fan cast
2: we're outraged
0: we are outraged uh partially because we really like Emma because she's lovely um she is totally lovely um but it's SF signal podcast by Patrick Hester won it's been around longer it's been running longer. It's got a bigger audience. Um, Tea and Jeopardy came second or third?
2: Uh, no, not quite. No. I've got a no, long, no, long... It, it's, it's proportional representation voting, um, and that is the category in which um, the glory of PR is most wonderfully revealed, because it just changes all the way down. Uh, I'm looking now at Emma Newman's picture uh, of her Hugo loser, and I, I don't know what that is. There's an animal on it and it appears to be holding a double-headed axe, and I can't tell you more than that.
0: Oh, poor thing. I'm sure someone will go, you fools, don't you realise it was a thing from a thing? And be like, oh, axe-wielding triple, really? Okay. <laughs> um, oh no, it's it's
2: probably, probably a dire wolf with a double-headed axe, isn't it?
0: Oh, it probably is, because it's George Orwell Martin. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Think See, about logical. See, from
1: here, it looks like a unicorn rocking horse.
2: Yeah, you are looking sideways on there. Uh-huh, uh uh-huh.
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> I like to think it is a unicorn rocking horse. I've mm. just checked,
2: T and Jeopardy came forth.
0: Uh, My jaws just dropped. Teen Jeopardy came fourth. That's ridiculous.
2: Proportional representation? Because we've talked about very specifically about the votes in that category, and it is very all over the shop.
1: We are Um, outraged! Outraged! No, we're not. I mean, a lot of. But apparently,
2: (laughs) the losers' party rocked.
1: (laughs) Hello, David Tennant. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Need I say more, people?
2: Anyway, moving back
0: to books. Moving back to books. Also, um, Vox Day didn't win a sausage, uh, which is fantastic. In fact, no award and no vote went above Vox Day. Vox Day is a right-wing conservative chap who has been used as the kind of champion by right-wing conservative authors pretty much short version right when conservative all of us were like he will be our champion and it's like well hang on he's he's been drummed out of various organizations for just being unpleasant not his politics he's just not a nice person and it's like, anyway so have we run out of news
2: i think we probably i think we probably have and i think it's probably about time to move on
0: okay so coming up next i'm going to talk about equoid um written by hugo winning charlie stross
4: This is Fab Radio International. Those hands are playing the
0: strangest musical instrument in the world. The only instrument that is
2: not touched by hands. You ask for it. Fab Radio.
0: Hello, gentle listener. If you missed us babbling on about the news, and now I'm going to talk about. Charles Stross's short story "Equoid." Equoid? Shall I say Equoid? I can't say Equoid. It's called Equoid. (laughs)
4: Equoid.
0: Equoid. So, um, a few things. Firstly, it won a Hugo. Secondly, it's free. You can get it on Tor.com. You can just go onto the the internet and find the entire novella. We're doing a novella uh, rather than the full book because, frankly, I haven't finished reading *Until We Justice* and. That's another Hugo-winning thing that we could have talked about. So, um, what's it about? Well, it's set in the modern day, sort of, sort of, um, and it's set in Charles Stross's Laundry Universe. Now, Laundry is imagine, imagine the British civil service was responsible for protecting you against the occult and dark horrors. Um, imagine, imagine. You had to fill in a requisition form in order to prevent yourself from being eaten by Cthulhu. So essentially, take HP Lovecraft's kind of mythos, take the entire concept of eldritch, dark things coming across to eat our minds, and then apply a typically British sensibility to it. So, for example, they have a Warrant card. card, They all have Warrant cards that are gassed to the Crown. So every single person, they they don't just find... sign an official secret act they're actually magically gayest not to talk about what they do uh-huh. so so it's a magical secrecy going on there uh, bob howard essentially started off as a, 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 a computer expert a computer a mathematics genius um found himself really actually becoming a computational demonologist his wife um i believe is a combat eschatologist Mm -hmm. Which means that she hunts out bad philosophies and defeats them before they melt your brain. Uh, She also plays the cello, which is nice. Um, (laughs) So the plot of Equoid, as you might be able to tell, Equoid is about horses. Equoid is specifically about unicorns but these are not your happy fluffy sparkly magic unicorns oh no 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 no! because this is the laundry universe and nothing is nice hmm. one of the things he does is he keeps flashing back to um, hp lovecraft himself and there's a series of letters written from hp lovecraft to robert block um, some of you remember go oh that's clever oh, unicorns robert block okay fair enough um essentially what we have here is H.P. Lovecraft going, Ah, unicorns, they're horrible! <laughs> and they really are. And they are these hideous, hideous parasitical monsters. They're equoid, not equine. So what they are, are mimic parasites um, that draw in the innocent to use as part of their parasitic reproductive cycle. So all of those, all of those lovely, fluffy stories about happy, sparkly, magical ponies... No, 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 no. And no, they're no. all
1: planted.
0: They're they're all
1: propaganda.
0: You know how you know how there is a kind of H.P. Lovecraft esque, and there's a kind of a horror about the human reproductive cycle, mm. where it's all turned into a kind of darkness, and it's about domination and control and squamous, squamous, formless spawn, and this mm-hmm. sort of thing. And it's the messy, organic, animalistic ick side. Ick is the best way to describe what he does with Equoid. He essentially takes a traditional idea and a traditional story and turns it into something that is far, far less pleasant. Um, And do you know what? We completely love Charlie Stross for this. Um, Bob, who's the narrator, it's all written in first person. Oh, my giddy aunt, poor Bob. Um, he's sitting there going, it's, you know, he's, he, he, he explains things in a very kind of clinical mathematical way. So when he's being chased by a horse with a grip big frickin' horn on its head, <laughs> he's like, well, mathematically it will do this sort of damage to me. If that hits me at which point my organs will be pulped. It's that sort of, you know, cause he's that sort of character It's the charm of Bob. Bob is like, I completely understand how utterly, utterly doomed I am. <laughs> oh, let's try this anyway. Um, it's a great little novella. Um if you've not read any of the laundry stuff and you want to dip your toe into it, yes, it is horror, so it might not be to your tastes. If you like the idea of HP Lovecraft but you can't read him because he's not a very good writer, then this is sorta of for you. Because I think everyone, I think it's impossible not to acknowledge that HP Lovecraft is a is a poor writer, because HP Lovecraft is a poor writer. <laughs> Um, Please
1: send your complaints to Radio Bookworm on Twitter and Facebook and, and address them again to Mr. Edward Fortune.
0: Um, so, yes, I mean, it's no way, Bill Lovecraft is just a rubbish orphan. <laughs> um, he's just not very good at what, you know, he, he's got really, really nice ideas, but he's just not. So, so yeah, um, is that the sort of thing that would appeal to you, in?
1: I mean, I've heard amazing things about the the Laundry series, and and I haven't picked it up yet. And I know I should, and I probably will. Um, I, I enjoy H.P. Lovecraft because it is a, a, quite a, an interesting world to delve into. Um, I, I I would definitely look into it yeah I mean it's a free novella so just the, the fact that it's free just, just makes me think well now I really just need to do it now there's
0: another two short stories available on tour as well oh cool Um, neither of those are Hugo winning
1: um,
0: but Echoid is I think one of the reasons that we could be a bit mean, and we could say that maybe the reason Equoid run is because quite a few people hate pony stories at the moment because there's a lot of pony stories. But I think that's being I think that's being unnecessarily uh, unnecessarily nasty about the whole thing. To be honest, it's just a cracking deal. Yeah. He just does it really
1: well. but well, that's what you want, though, isn't it? You just want a good story, something that you can sit down, spend a couple of hours with, and come back out in the world completely satisfied.
0: And it's set in Rural Shire as well. It's, it isn't, you know, he calls it Rural Shire, it gives it an actual location. But it's sort of that kind of Jolly Hockey Sticks part of Britain. And you can kind of imagine it being like, you could imagine someone doing a Hot Fuzz-style crossover. Uh, and i would absolutely love to to see Equoid done as a hot first style story (laughs) with simon peg running away from a demon unicorn he also he also uses the same idea and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna spoil the story for you but he uses the same idea to explain salkies to explain nicolavi to you know anything that's a demon horse Mm. he he pretty much puts you know he puts his mark on it um Deliciously nasty. You should definitely read it if you're that sort of. uh, If you're deliciously nasty and you like deliciously nasty stories, Equoid is for you, and it's free, which is our favourite price ever.
1: So, So what's coming next?
0: uh, Coming up next, we're going to talk to Angry Robot's own Anna Kashina. This is Fab Radio International. Anna Kashina, welcome to the book one.
3: Thank you, it's great to be here.
0: So, what can you tell us about the Guild of Assassins?
3: Well, so the Guild of Assassins is my second book in the Majad Code series, which started earlier this year uh, by Angry Robot Books. Uh, it's an epic adventure fantasy uh, with some elements of romance the uh, so book one, "Blaze of the Old Empire, which came out in February uh, was more of an adventure and it's kind of, uh, it's about saving the world, of course, and it features a group of warriors called the Majat Warriors, which is the namesake for the series, which are essentially, so I think of them as ninjas in the medieval European setting. So these are martial artists which are uh, placed into the reality of medieval Europe, complete with uh, knights, armor, and uh, no firearms, but all kinds of uh, other weapons. And uh, so each of these warriors is uh, completely unique and unmatched in their fighting skills. And uh, several of them are central characters for the story. So um, in book one, uh, these warriors are formally playing uh, kind of in the background, but they're in the, in the- seen all the time and then book two guild of assassins which just came out now or, or it's coming out in a week rather uh these warriors come into the foreground so one of them kara acquires a point of view and it uh shows a closer look at the majad guild so it kind of uh, breaks some of the mysterious barriers and allows people to see how the majad warriors are trained and what is going on behind the scenes And on the background of this, uh, in the whole whole series, these people are fighting a very powerful enemy, which threatens not just the kingdom, but the empire that this kingdom used to be a part of. And uh, it also features romance. So Guild of Assassins has a love triangle. Which is important to the story, even though it doesn't have as much page count as the adventure part.
0: Why are we so obsessed with stories about assassins? Uh,
3: yeah, I was thinking about this a lot because uh, assassins are generally yeah, they're criminals and notorious people. But somehow I feel like it's just not, not just me, but in the recent fantasy, they became uh, a very popular theme. And I think the reason for this is that earlier on in the adventure fantasy, we had like this traditional warrior type. So these are very straightforward people that can come out with a sword and defeat a lot of enemies. So Assassin, it's kind of building up on that theme, but Assassins can be a lot more than that because they are loners by definition. So they have this atmosphere of mystery and kind of some romantic flair associated with this mystery they also have to be the best at what they do so i think in that sense assassin heroes can be unparalleled to, i mean they're so much better than any warriors because an assassin should be able to kill any warrior we worried about before so i think uh, just overall and of course yeah this uh sense that killing people is their profession, but uh, they can all approach it differently. So, for example, in my series, the top assassin, his name is Mai, and he's actually on the cover of the Guild of Assassins coming out right now. So he is the best of the best, but his special trait is that he doesn't like killing. So he actually will go to a special uh, length not to kill unless he absolutely has to. And I think uh, so each of the assassin characters can have this depth to explore something that goes just beyond being a warrior, beyond being the best of the best, having some very interesting trends to their character. So uh, I just find that, I mean, it really stimulates my imagination and I've been exploring this a lot and I'm still not done. It's a really rich theme. I think it could be evidenced by other recent fantasy as well.
0: Your books can be found in multiple languages, German, Russian, English. Uh, how different is it writing in different tongues?
3: Well, so yeah, I'm a native Russian speaker. I grew up in Russia. So uh, I don't know any German, just as a disclaimer, my German editions have been translated by other people. But it's true that, yeah, my first language has been Russian and I originally started writing in Russian. So my first novel was written in Russian. And then I took a very big dictionary and translated it which was kind of a crazy undertaking if you think about it now i've lived in the u.s for 20 years right now and by now i switched my languages i think so english is dominant for me and i think this is mostly not just because of talking every day only in english but also reading mostly in english so the the language i read in definitely dominates Uh, Both languages are very different actually, I have to say that if you talk about action, English is much better, English offers a lot of wealth of describing action in a very efficient and dynamic way. If you talk about poetic descriptions, I would say Russian is better russian has more words for poetic descriptions so maybe this uh, explains in part why i switched from writing this poetic musical fantasies to writing action it just kind of english is a very natural language for it And I think, yeah, by now I'm truly bilingual, I feel.
0: Have you considered writing your book simultaneously in two languages? Yeah,
3: that's an interesting question. I don't think it would be possible, actually. Because when you think in a particular language, you think in a particular style. And uh, so inevitably, a book has to be written in one language and then translated. And for example, so my very first novel that I ever wrote is called The Princess of Dagobad, which came out in 2000 in English. So I originally wrote this book in Russian and translated it. And in this translation, a lot of things had to be completely changed. So to my sense, these are two different books and these two different languages. It may be not as radical if another person is translating my books, but when I, as an author, I can't avoid being tempted to add or subtract things based on the language. So, yeah, I think uh, I'm probably going to stick to English for now. Why is fantasy so popular? So I think the popularity of fantasy is attributed to... So, I mean, the first book that really introduced fantasy to the Western world was uh, The Lord of the Rings, I guess. And I think there is always this category of people who who are just fascinated by the possibilities offered by fantasy uh so uh, probably i mean i would speak to myself but i hope for myself but i hope it kind of uh it finds some echo with the readers uh, to me fantasy is very attractive because it so the possibilities are unlimited. There are no rules that constrain us. So you can take a character and put this character into an extreme situation, which will not be possible if you were just writing, say, historical fiction or present-day fiction. Because if magic exists, there is really no limit to which you could put a character. And just uh, seeing people act within these uh, extremes uh, brings out much more of the character, in my sense, than you could possibly do with the constraints of a real world. Uh, in addition to this, I guess there's always this fascination with magic, and uh, a lot of magic builds on myths and traditions, so I think there's some deep uh, sense that answers just the person's soul, how you were brought up, so it kind of echoes in uh, in everything from your very childhood to adulthood, so yeah, I think fantasy is kind of a timeless genre. What's
0: your next big project?
3: Well, so currently I'm still dwelling in the Majat Code world, so I'm writing book three in the series, and I have also completed the prequel, which I'm now editing. Um, So, yeah, I think that's kind of... uh so I would like to explore some of the themes. So when I when I won't write the books that are directly related to the series, I'll probably write something else set in the same world, possibly in another timeline to explore some of the deeper themes that I have been interesting in when I started developing my series. So I think yeah, it's probably going to be my jet code for a little bit for me. What inspires you? Uh, inspire me. <laughs> well, uh, human interactions are one thing, so uh, all my books, I consider my books to be fully character-driven, even though they're action books. Uh, you cannot make action interesting without having the characters which readers can relate to, and ultimately you see everything through the eyes of your characters, and if the characters are interesting, people are going to be interested in the books. If the characters are dull, uh, there, there couldn't be possibly any action which would be considered interesting by the readers. So... Uh, Uh, anything related to human nature and driving it to the extreme really inspires me and uh, putting magic into the mix Certainly makes it even better because uh, I love to push boundaries, and I, I don't. I love the situations where you're, you're not constrained by any uh, imposed rules. So all the rules I'm setting myself, kind of, and they can be pretty extreme.
0: If you were stuck on a desert island and you had everything you needed to survive, what book would you want to come?
3: I would probably pick The Lord of the Rings, <laughs> because I think this book has a lot of. I mean, I just love the book. It's both nostalgic and interesting to me now as well.
0: Anna Kishine, thank you for coming on the show.
3: Thank you very much, Ed. It was great. Embrace the Alternative with Fab Radio.
1: So, welcome back. This is the Bookworm on Fab Radio International, and you've just missed... Ed's interview with the lovely Anna Kashina.
0: She was lovely. <laughs>
1: um, today's show is a bit of a mixed bag because, because um, originally Ed was going to do a young adult, and then and I decided no, a is is uh, marginally more more socially dark and and, and and weird. So I'm going to do that instead. Um, however, I'm sticking to my guns, and today I am looking at *Juliet in Morso uh, by Stacey J. Uh, it's published by Delacorte Press. Um, Juliet Immortal is part of a duology. What? No three books. Wow. And it's um, it's the first book. The second book is called Romeo Redeemed. Now, um, what's it about? Um, Obviously, Romeo and Juliet, you know, you, you can feel where this is going. Um, it isn't a retelling of, of Romeo and Juliet. It's actually a bit of a take on what um, happened, um, and, and it's set in, in, modern, in the modern world. Uh, it's a young adult, a uh, bit of a paranormal, dark romance feel to it. Um, so, what really happened um, between Juliet and Romeo? Juliet didn't actually take her own life. She was murdered uh, by her new husband Romeo, who made her th- the sacrifice to basically ensure his own immortality. Ooh. I know. Um, what he didn't anticipate is that Juliet had also been recruited by some supernatural. Um, entities call themselves the ambassadors of light and when she died which she was actually granted eternal life as well for the last 700 years juliet has basically struggled to preserve romantic love and lives of those that romeo is actually trying to hinder um, so they're both fighting for for um opposing corners. She's fighting for love and light, he's fighting for darkness and and to destroy the love that's in the world. Um but now um Juliet who basically when she when she's helping shall we say she takes over um, the life of, of uh, a girl that's in love and tries to put her life to right before Romeo sweeps in and destroys it. Um, so she's now inhabiting the body of a girl called Ariel um, and um, and what she doesn't anticipate actually is that she will find her own forbidden love in through Ariel's body.
0: So hang on, are they both ghosts?
1: They aren't. They are immortal entities, Uh, and they basically um, every now and then, you know, they're they're in the ether, just floating by and existing, and they get pulled into a body for their new assignment.
0: So it's kind of like a romantic version of Quantum Leap.
1: Uh, (laughs) Yes, to an extent, um, that that's probably an easy way of explaining it. Absolutely. Is, Is that
2: yes? But no.
1: (laughs) Well, actually, it's more yes than no. It's not a bad comparison at all. Yes, they are swept into a new body. They take over, make the things... Well, she tries to make things right. He tries to make them very wrong. Uh, Whoever wins, you know, takes, takes... a little bit away or adds a little bit more light to the world. I
0: love this premise. Is it any good?
1: It's actually lovely. It's really good. Um, I went into it sort of like more for curiosity because let's face it you must be a very, very brave person to take on the most epically known romance of all times you know Romeo and Juliet everyone knows the story it's been retold a million times through every possible means there's movies there's you know books uh, people study at school it's 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 quite the fit I think that Stacey J's done but actually it's very intriguing and I really liked this, this it, it is it is a romance at the heart and there's still this sort of breathtaking first love feel to it. Um, and, and it's it's quite interesting. I, I really enjoyed it, yeah. Um, I, I liked Juliet. <laughs> Uh, as a as a sort of almost reticent heroine, because really, you know, she she's been almost duped into becoming a force for God. Not that you know she wouldn't have done it, but she never. As, as you get to know the character, she never quite understood what she was signing up for until it was too late. Um, and now she's literally spending existence as as a as love servant. Really,
0: what do they make of Bill Shakespeare's? You know. Uh, work though, because obviously they've become famous because of this play, which is decidedly inaccurate.
1: Um, the the take, which actually it's it's kind of amusing to me, is is that Juliet hates it because that's propaganda spread by Romeo. He actually gave the story to Shakespeare to sort of sing the praises of this beautiful love story, oh. just to nag her.
2: I I have serious issues with the original Romeo and Juliet as <coughs> written by Shakespeare. <laughs> similar issues to that which Ed has with Monopoly. It's it's that bad. Uh, <laughs> monopoly? Uh, yeah.
0: I can't say Monopoly. It's it's, it's, it's something that uh, ill-defines board games for a whole load of people in the same way that Romeo and Juliet ill-defines love stories for a whole pile, pile of people.
2: And especially given that at most high schools in, in Britain it's shoved down your throat at GCSE level.
1: Yeah. I have to say, it's not my favourite Shakespeare, but because he's so well known, as I said, it intrigued me that the the author would try and take on and sort of put her own stamp, but she did it really well. And as I said, you know, you get flashbacks to what you know of the story, but seen through the eyes of Juliet and what obviously the real... Um, air quotes story in the book is of of Romeo and Juliet and how you know this this young girl was duped into being literally a sacrifice for someone that was trying to get immortality Um, and they both kind of get shoved um, into this this existence whereas they're fighting against each other all the time with all the history that they can never sort of leave behind because you know everybody knows Romeo and Juliet she can't escape it it's everywhere
0: I like the idea that they've introduced the concept of malice to it rather than because the thing with Romeo and Juliet is they're both idiots <laughs> I mean when I, when I was <laughs>
1: innocent a,
0: innocent no they're, they're <laughs> foolish uh when, when I was when I was a kid and I was introduced to it at school like most people are yeah I was already a little bit familiar with but I had I was lucky enough to have quite a good teacher who was like Okay, kids, this is why, when you fall in love, you should be really careful not to do anything really stupid, <laughs> like get into a knife fight. Because, um, I mean, we did it with End Story as well, so yeah, oh, yeah. I had a very modern teacher. But I'm, I'm, I'm presuming... So... so do you, do we get like a potted history of their, their previous previously on? The you balance? get
1: flashbacks um, through through Juliet's eyes where she sort of remembers you know the different boy. The the book actually opens with the scene of of him you know climbing and coming through her window to meet her at night and you know the whole oh please you know tell me morning will never come and all of that. Uh, and there's this little introduction and that's your very first chapter in the book. And then as as it goes on, she has this flashbacks something happens and she'll think oh that you know reminds me of when this happened so you get her past self as Juliet as well as the story of this new girl that she's embodying to try and sort of preserve her life Um, so yeah you do get a potted history of of Romeo and Juliet uh, but you get obviously the take of the author on it which is not you know oh this is what people believe actually here's what really happened uh, and how how hard this story actually is compared to the the sweet and innocent and beautiful love story that you see and tragic um, that you know it's all been planted by Romeo
0: Cool and also sounds a lot of fun. So, so, who produces it? Where can I get
1: it? You can get it anywhere. Um, there's I, I've got the lovely hardback because it's first edition, I, I got it Christmas a few years back. Uh, it's Juliet In- Immortal by Stacey J. It's published by Delacorte Press and it's available through uh, Amazon. You can probably order it at your independent bookstores, you can get it through Home as well. And the second book, Romeo Redeemed, is also available.
0: And you can get that on your uh, also Hive by via Hive.com. And other online book re- retailers that aren't currently having a fight with Hachette. <laughs> um, I think coming up next, we have a bit of a book segment where trying something. We're, 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 we're trying something new, but we'll talk about that in a moment.
3: Embrace the alternative with Fab Radio.
0: So, uh, coming up now is an extract from Danny Ware's novel Echo Burning. Enjoy.
4: This is Fab Radio International. The horsewoman leaned low over the neck of her mare, laughing like a demon. Beneath her, the horse raced like an arrow shot from the sun. Smooth and swift, her shoulders churning fluidly with her speed. Her heels kicked at the grass as she ran. She was as glad as her rider of the freedom of the Varchind. Trick was sitting astride the wind. The mare's hooves barely seemed to touch the soil. Her chest knifed through the grass, and it rushed past them, swishing as they ran. The horse was sleek and strong, and her mane flew in the woman's face, making her laugh even more. Sunlight bathed their skin, but they moved so fast, the air felt cold as it thrilled past. Triqueta's yellow hair and the mare's tail were bright as flags in the midst of the empty plain. Behind them, they left a ripple of wake. "'There!' she sat up. In one hand was a horseman's bow, short-limbed beneath the grip and long-limbed above. She had several arrows in the same hand, resting against the wood and parallel with the bowstring. The other hand knocked a loose shaft. Without missing breath or hoofbeat, she tracked the rustle in the long grasses, drew the string back to her ear, and let it go. The arrow thunked into a squeak. The rustling stopped. Got him! Grinning, she drew and knocked another. A reflex action. The mare, feeling the change in the pressure of the woman's thighs, made a slowing inward spiral and came at last to a halt. Somewhere behind her, voices. Ress and Gyre, laughing at her. Gyre's laughter was a rare sound and a joyous one. Her past had scarred more than her flesh. Trick hadn't asked. Life was too short. However, Gyre had come by her fighter's calluses and Cartian scarring. It didn't matter. Why not celebrate? Showing off, she jumped up to her feet on the mare's back, balancing with no effort. She bowed like a theatre player, bow and arrow still in hands, then turned as if to do likewise to an audience behind her. She stopped. Against the bright eastern horizon, there was a black speck, No, two of them. They were too far away to see. They shimmered with heat haze and pollen. But Buiao ran alone, and they were far too fast for range patrol outriders. They weren't on the trade road. Controlling a flash of nervousness, she paused, squinting against the bright sky. They were a long way out of bow range, but whatever they were, they were coming across the open grass, and they were, by the res, they were fast. Res shouted. This is Fab Radio International. Across the world, 24 hours a day. This is Fab Radio International.
0: And that wasn't... And that was an extract from the Echo series by the lovely Danny Ware. So, um, this is the part of the show where we talk complete nonsense.
1: Yay! What do we do before then?
0: Um, talk complete nonsense. Uh,
2: excited chatter about books is what it officially is. <laughs> uh,
0: excited chatter about books.
1: It's About books.
0: So, so we. It's certain commentators on the book scene have referred to the last. 10 days as from from last weekend to the previous weekend as the long con or the long convention um, because in London from Nine Worlds to um, Worldcon it was a block, and it continued afterwards with the George R. Martin and the Robin Hood mm, thing. Absolutely, there are a lot of a lot of book industry people who are asleep right now, and are enjoying a long, long bank holiday, just being dead. <laughs> um, so, yeah, shall we shall we very briefly go over the, the things that we have done? So, shall we talk briefly about Nine Worlds? Yes, it was awesome. Um, <laughs> all the books was really good. We quite liked the organisation. Myself and producer Al went um we talked to to various producer types as well we talked to various podcasting types. you're probably listening to us via some sort of podcasting channel to be honest um it was very good quite liked it it was the venue was a bit meh but the actual people in the organization was great some tracks were better than others Mm. what Uh, was
1: your favorite did you have a
0: favorite uh, all of the books predictably was the best (laughs) track that i that I enjoyed immensely um, just just great fun, just lots and lots of different, uh, diverse authors uh, Elizabeth Bear and Scott Lynch as well, who who make a fantastic team, and mm. a very interesting uh, a very interesting team they are uh, yeah uh, Paul Cannell was as charming as ever and then the following weekend I went to Saloncon, and I understand you had fun on the show as well.
1: We did yes, we had the lovely Dell and, uh, and talked um, about um, Neil Gaiman spin-off the um, Sandman graphic novels so we talked about death and Lucifer and it was really interesting I actually went home and, and realised wait a second I've got all of these because my husband's bought them I need to read them now they are fantastic
0: yeah. uh, Long Con was just so full of stuff it's really hard to kind of focus in on one thing and um, but yes, if you're a fan of books, then you should definitely consider Worldcon as one of the things on your calendar. Unfortunately, the next one is in Spokane. So if you fancy uh, a trip to the middle of America oh, yeah. for next year, then cool. But it, it's a good do. It certainly is a good do. Um, lots but you lots know of what? Offers. For
1: those of you that can't spend that amount of money and I think, why is it not somewhere closer? Helsinki 2017. They're uh, trying to
0: get Worldcon to come to Helsinki 2017. Uh, their symbol is a polar bear I'm a big fan of polar bears so (laughs) that should be a thing we'll talk about I think in the future we'll talk about why you should absolutely also you should be involved in the Hugos so you can vote for podcasts in the Hugos because they do fancasts
1: like you know it, it, I'm sure you can think of an award-seeking radio show called The Bookworm um, for nominations you know if you I'm want, sure
0: to, if, if you have a spare vote and you want to, to throw it away vote for us it's, also, not, it's not
2: throwing it away it's a valued contribution
1: absolutely I, absolutely I you know all it takes is someone to start the ball rolling and then we'll have like a big massive snowfall of votes.
0: And then and then we'll be delighted to lose against T and Jeopardy who deserved <laughs> <a win. laughs> Um but yes, so that's a blatant piece of self promotion. Um it was very, very interesting and there were lots and lots of things but if you weren't there you weren't there, so we can't really say hop in. there were two tortoises. <gasps> no, so that's t- two can't tortoises. Well no, clearly because it was such a large event large event, there were lots of time lords there. Oh, wow. Certainly there were lots of people who looked a bit like David Tennant or Matt Smith. <laughs> uh, or at least certainly they were dressed that way. So presumably there was piles and piles of Time Lords. Yeah, yeah, that, that Hugo
2: Awards so many Davidson and Tennant, they were really good, really good cosplayers. Yeah,
0: yeah, they were fantastic yeah. cosplayers. I wonder, if that, I wonder if George Orwell Martin has ever turned up as George Orwell Martin to a fancy dress party, and just, you know, with the beard and the hat, and I'm wearing it as myself.
1: Yeah, he could just put, like, a, a little a, a little sign around his neck going, silence, i kill you.
2: <laughs>
0: Alternatively, he should turn dressed as Neil Gaiman, and Neil Gaiman should dress, turn dressed as George Orwell Martin.
2: <laughs> anyway, books.
0: Yes, uh, we're talking about books, we're talking about authors and stuff. Um... It's all, it's all relative the, There were an absolute pile of interesting launches One of the things we aren't at is we aren't at FantasyCon Because that was a convention too for, for for our physical energy, our resources and our budget um, <laughs> However, Katie Davies's book Breed, which is available on Fox Spirit Books Has launched at FantasyCon We loved The Red Knight, we really liked it It's a really good book, you should read it um, That's available, that's written by Katie Davies It's great, female led, well written, well put together fantasy and i'm very keen to read uh, breed when it comes
2: out and in late breaking news fox spirit books are still accepting cult tv blog posts for an eventual chap book Ooh. get in touch with anti fox via the twitters and she will tell you what that's all about submissions email. are opening shortly apparently
0: i should have sent an email to anti fox i really mm. should shall we um shall we run away so what are you reading
1: Ooh, i'm actually halfway through um the um, second book in the Throne of Glass series um, by Sarah J. Maas. I know I reviewed Throne of Glass some time ago and it's looking really good so far.
0: I'm piling through the skyscraper of Throne by Tom Pollock at the moment. Um, I've read them all, but I want to read them all again before I tell you all about them. Um, I'm also quite excited by various other things I should also write a review of Angel Heaven which is a very interesting young adult novel that should be quite fun so we're going to run away I believe so it's, um, goodbye
1: from me Ed Fortune and goodbye for me Nympha Hayes Embrace the Alternative with Fab Radio
2: The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst magazine presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes produced by A.L. Johnson